The Lord be with you and also with you. The word became flesh and dwells among us. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. We welcome you to this Christmastide service of worship and pray God's blessing for a blessed, happy, and Merry Christmas for one and all. Our music this morning features three arias from Bach, Advent, and Christmas cantatas performed today by soprano Mary Ruth Lown, violinist Susanna Ogata, cellist Guy Fishman, and organist Justin Blackwell. Through Bach's music given voice today by our musicians, we too behold the manger with hearts opened anew. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, enkindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. lesson from the second book of Samuel, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 and 26. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkinah and his wife and say, May the Lord repay you with children by this woman for the gift that she has made to the Lord. And then they will return to their home. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you so also you must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 148 with the Antiphon. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, all his angels. Praise him, all his host. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded and they were created, who established them forever and ever and fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling God's command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up a horn for his people, praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are near their God. Praise the Lord. Praise 
And now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of a hymn. According to St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52, glory to you, O Lord. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
The only scriptural account we have of Jesus' growth and boyhood is located in today's reading. Only here does the gospel allow us a glimpse of Jesus growing up. In this one picture of our Lord's maturation, we find him engaging the great teachers of his time. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Later ages and later writings did not resist the urge to imagine Jesus in his boyhood, clever, magical boy deity, able to make birds from stones and animals from the very dirt at his feet. But the Holy Gospel of St. Luke, for which and in which we stand, refrains from wilder speculation. Only here, just for a moment, does the writer relent and, in the reading meant for the Sunday after Christmas, show us the young Jesus, the young man Jesus, Jesus as a young man, which in some measure he would be for the whole of his earthly life. He who was to call disciples, now himself, just this once, is a disciple too. He whose life is the heart of faith, the call to faith, a daily call to faith, for this Christmas moment, is himself so called. And what is Jesus doing in faith, for faith, toward faith this morning? Why, he is reading. What good news this is for educators near and far and for grandparents and parents and teachers and all who labor and are heavy laden in the educational projects of our time, always rigorous and now COVID covered and far more so. As he blessed weddings in Cana and healers in Bethany, so now Jesus, by his presence and practice, blesses those who teach, who prepare the ground for a lifetime, a life-saving call to faith, and those of us fortunate enough to have received their teaching and so to have been seized by the confession of the church, the confession of faith. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, born in a manger, Come Christmas, he is our transforming friend. We have gathered, after already much church this week, to pray and listen for grace because of Jesus, our transforming friend. We bear witness today that Jesus has transformed our life, made us happier and better people than otherwise we would have been without him. How we hope that people, others, especially young people, will experience his power and love in their own way and time. For Christmas 2021 for us may bring a time to take another look at our walk in faith. Our gracious Advent daily devotions guided us in this direction day by day. And all fall we have noted that faith comes to most of us one step at a time. Yes, there are some for whom a blinding light on the road to Damascus, a blinding light on the road of life, carries us to faith. But most of us come along more gradually, one step and then another. And one step in faith is to find a way to read, to read, to read what nourishes faith by nourishing the soul. The rhythm, that is, of reading that fits your own most self. This morning, it may be, is a time for that step, to make a resolution to read in 2022. 
for the elusive presence of the divine lies at the marrow of the Christian gospel embedded in the strange stories of this season. A few years ago, a friend down south sent me a copy of an article by E.J. Dion. I keep it in my drawer and reread it at this time of year, for it rightly celebrates those who come to church come Christmas, perhaps only then, or only then and at Easter. Perhaps you have come or are listening during Christmas, hoping for what? Waiting for what? Ready, it may be, to hear a call to faith. Dion wrote about the difficulties in organized religion, particularly Christianity today, a decline in religious observance, the rise of the nuns, now a quarter of the the population in the U.S. and 40% of those under 30, about unwelcoming attitudes and practices regarding the LGBTQIA portion of the population, about clergy sexual abuse, about the complicated and compromised structures of churches and denominations. But he went further. Christmas, he wrote, remains wondrous, but it arrives at a difficult moment for Christianity in the United States. Regular worshipers can be disdainful of the priesters, but these twice a year visitors deserve our attention and, I would argue, our respect. Their semi-annual presence is also testimony to the enduring hunger for the experience of the sacred. Yes, just so. Testimony to the enduring hunger for the experience of the sacred. You feel it in the bones on Christmas Eve, the sanctuary dark with candles lifted and silent night sung. Yes, just so. Dion then went on to name and cite three people whose work and teaching, as it happens, I have personally known, with whom I have taught and studied and who have meant a great deal to me and others. Reading matters. Theology matters. Dion's capacity to call up these three wise persons for our inspiration also matters. One is Gabriel Vahanian, Dion. What the theologian Gabriel Vahanian observed decades ago in his book, The Death of God, explains the larger context. Christianity has long since ceased to be coextensive with our culture, he wrote, and our age is post-Christian both theologically and culturally. I remember Bahanian granting me an interview in his Syracuse University Hall of Languages third floor office one winter day long ago, and his comment in a beautiful French accent, the will of man, it is more inscrutable than the will of God. The will of man is more inscrutable than the will of God. One is Peter Berger, whom some of you knew here at Boston University. Dion, the great sociologist of religion, Peter Berger offers a clue in A Rumor of Angels, his 1969 book about the persistence of faith in the face of rapid secularization, the stubborn refusal of human beings to give up 
on the transcendent. I picture Berger at lunch here on Commonwealth Avenue, chastising the Lutheran church he very much loved and warming to tell a truly funny joke. And I remember his memorial service in our neighborhood, 2017. One is N.T. Wright, for whom I was teaching assistant at McGill over three years, Dion. The big biblical scholar and former Anglican bishop N.T. Wright sees the longing for justice, the quest for spirituality, the hunger for relationships, and the delight in beauty as human aspirations beyond the material that can be heard as echoes of a voice pointing toward God in his book, Simply Christian. I picture Wright, both curious and frowning, as I guest lectured for him on the Gnostics, inviting me to dinner in his Montreal home with four beautiful growing children, his desk stuffed in tiny closet under the hallway stairs. And a few summers ago, we lunched across the river at Harvard. He chuckled and thanked me for a sermon title he remembered from decades ago, What a Friend We Have in Paul. Jesus had his teachers, at least according to Luke, and we have our own. Bahanian, Berger, Wright, in very different theological voices, would approve Dion's reliance on them. You might like to read them in the next year. My friend, in sending the article, brought these teachers, my teachers, back to me, and so gave me back a part of myself, and that is what friends do. They give us back ourselves. And finally then, Dion himself, who preceded us in our room the week before we were speaking at Chautauqua Institution four summers ago. People show up twice a year because some part of them is in rebellion against a society defined solely by self-interest and calculation by the visible, the measurable, and the tangible. They have an intimation that the world is made up, in the words of the Nicene Creed, of both the seen and the unseen. Christmas sketches a picture of a cosmos capable of love. A picture of a cosmos capable of love. Are we lovers? anymore. Christmas comes along with a question. Are we lovers anymore? Or are we resigned to a post-agapic, post-agape, post-love world and life? From my point of view, the Christmas longing is not only for transcendence, but also, and more so, for love. And in the question, there is a call are we lovers anymore? Are we? In 2006, our first autumn in Boston, I received a telephone call from a woman I did not know. She had been prompted to call me by my teacher, Dr. Christopher Morse, he who was a part of that pantheon of powerful professors at Union Theological Seminary 50 years ago. Raymond Brown, J. Lewis Martin, Robert McAfee Brown, Donald Shriver, Cyril Richardson, James Forbes, James Washington, James Cone, Beverly Harrison, 
Koseki Koyama all. The caller was Sarah Terrian, now of blessed memory. She said, Christopher tells me there's a union man at Marsh Chapel and I should call him up and welcome him. Is that you? Sarah's husband, Samuel Terrian, retired from teaching Hebrew Bible three months before I arrived at Union, and he died some years before her call. I never met him or studied in person with him to my great loss, but through his books he has taught me, especially his greatest elusive presence. He has taught me over the valley of the shadow of death, come to shape, guide, and form my own faith, my own theology, my own liberal biblical theology. To you I commend him and his work and his book, even as I cherish Sarah's personal, pastoral, kind telephone call of many years ago. Tarion wrote, presence, divine presence, does not alter nature, but changes history through the character and lives of women and men. The elusive presence of a walking, not a sitting God, a God nomadic, hidden, elusive, and free, a God of tent, not temple, of ear, not eye, of name, not glory, a God who creates and calls out a spiritual interiority, a commission by command, Hebrew, not Judaic, a God of time, not space, of grace, not place, whose faith allows one to translate love for God into actual behavior in society, whose prophets demythologize space for the sake of time. A religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not a true religion. Veritu es Deus absconditus. Truly thou art a hidden God. Read something great this year, 2022, something that feeds your soul, that pushes off and faces down pandemic, something that surprises you, as in our friend and South Texas poet minister Milton Jordan's playful December poem of this week, The South Texas Christmas. At first glance this late December day, the weather line on my device seems normal enough. 26 is chilly, but not unheard of, until I realize my device, just to be contrary, has converted to Celsius. Before we let technology have all the power alone, maybe we could spend some time reading. Read. It is one step in faith. As Robert Bly, now himself a blessed memory, put it, I recognize that a single short poem has room for history, music, psychology, religious thought, mood, occult speculation, character, and events of one's own life. In the early 1970s, a decade that seems eerily and tragically similar in its outworking to our own, Some came into ministry out of parsonages, some out of college chaplaincies, some out of summer camping experience, and some of us out of all three. In late August one year, a group of high schoolers set up a panel, a kind of truth and justice panel, if you will, 
of six elderly clergy to ask about faith. How do we find our way to faith? The younger asked the older. One crisp response stands out among others. Read. You're going to need to apply yourself to learn, read, grow in what you know so that you may thrive in what makes you come alive. The minister did not mention Augustine of Hippo, but he might have. He who found faith by reading alone in a garden. You may take a seat for a moment in Marsh Chapel under the window of St. Augustine, just here, who amid tears, misery, and lamentation reclaimed his own soul by reading. I was saying these things and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart when suddenly I heard the voice of a boy or a girl, I know not which, coming from the neighboring house, chanting over again, over and over again, pick it up, read it, tole, lege. So I quickly returned to the bench where Olypius was sitting, for there I had put down the apostle's book when I had left. I snatched it up, opened it, and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes first fell. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. One step, one step in faith comes as we read this next year. Amen.
As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the way that will most support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in your place, respond in a language other than English, however you are so moved by the Spirit this morning. I will set the petition and will say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Beloved, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. Gracious, loving, holy, and one. As we begin a Christian year, as we are at the end of the calendar year and begin a new one, we acknowledge beginnings, endings, and what continues. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we bring to you a person we have thought of or remembered and for whom we want to pray. In your grace, hear our prayer. Someone who is hurt or in trouble and needs our prayer and your healing. In your grace, hear our prayer a part of creation or a companion population in nature that we love. In your grace, hear our prayer. Silently, we bring a person we find it hard to forgive or to trust. In your grace, Hear our prayer. Those who have died with thanksgiving for their life and ministry amongst us, we bring to you their family and friends. We bring to you our hope of sharing in the life of all your saints and the life of the world to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring our own particular challenges of mind, body, spirit, relationship. In your grace, hear our prayer. 
we bring the milestones and celebrations of our human life. In your grace, hear our prayer. We bring to you ourselves that we may continue to grow in grace, in clarity of mind, and in warmth of affection. In your grace, hear our prayer. We continue our prayer as our Savior Christ has taught us, as we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
continue to worship together by presenting our tithes and offerings.
before us, the life within us, the fellowship among us, and thy love that surrounds us. We give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ. Amen. were sleeping, shepherds keeping, vigil till the morning knew, saw the glory, heard the story, tidings of a gospel true. Thus rejoicing, free from sorrow, praises voicing, greet the morrow, Christ the babe is born for you. <laughs> 